Hello, and welcome to the Groovy Writer Podcast, where we explore how to find your writing groove, regardless of your circumstances. I'm your host, author and MFA instructor, Nicole McGinnis. So it could be that this is one of my more controversial episodes, and I'm okay with that. Here's the deal. As a YA author and as MFA faculty teaching YA classes, both YA literature and YA workshops, there's so much I'm seeing regarding the term that everyone knows, cancel culture, that I'm just seeing filtering down from well-known writers on social media, whether they are um, sort of promoting the cancel culture, which I don't think is usually the case. Usually what I'm seeing is that some of these writers are the victims of cancel culture. There are just well-documented examples of this, and I'm not going into this with the intent of rehashing some of those stories. They've gotten a lot of publicity, especially if one is on Twitter, which I used to be, or really any social media, or just listens, tunes in to sort of the news coming out of the YA sphere. And it's not just YA, but I think it's a especially intense in that world, which is why I'll probably focus primarily on YA here. And this is coming very much off the cuff from the hip, by the way. I don't have any of this scripted. I really haven't written any of this down because I don't really feel like I need to, sadly. Based on my own experience and based on some very well-known authors' experiences, and now over the past few years, based on what I'm hearing from other writers, many of them just beginning their forays into the world of young adult literature, which let me just interject here is a fabulous part of the literary world, in my opinion. Writing for young adults is exciting and it's gratifying because if you can do it well, and I'm not (laughs) claiming to have always done it well, but When you can do it well enough where you're hearing from readers who are sending you, you know, handwritten letters or emails or shout outs on social media saying, I loved this book. I loved these characters. This character gave me the confidence to whatever it might be. Or I haven't read a character that resonated with me so strongly and made me see my own life in a different way. Things like that. When you get to have those actual conversations, I'm not talking about necessarily the larger literary conversation of writing a book and having it published. But for me, I've said this many times, I will say it, I think forever is the most important and just hands down greatest part of the process is hearing from readers, hearing from young readers, especially hearing from adult readers of YA is great. And they are legion. There are many, many adult readers of YA, but especially hearing from the YA demographic from teen readers. It's amazing. So it it actually pains me when I hear these stories and read these stories and see it play out of YA authors being quote-unquote canceled. There are different reasons for this happening, but what I'm seeing is often this is because issues of representation and tied in with that comes often issues of lived experience. Just this past year, it seems to have kind of reached a fever pitch. And I will just preface this whole conversation by saying I am a Caucasian woman. Can I still say middle-aged? I'm 51. I'm not sure I can still say middle-aged. I am of German, Swedish, 
and Scottish descent. So really, if you look at the inside of my arm, you can literally see my veins. You don't get much more pale, almost translucent, honestly, than my skin. I freckled intensely as a kid, which of course now I'm just wishing I, I hadn't, but it was the 70s and I was out in the California sun and constantly out in the sun and my whole face would be a mass of freckles. And this is all to say I'm a middle-aged, I'm just going to own that. I'm just going to say, yes, I'm still middle-aged white woman. My latest YA project is, as I love to do, it's told for multiple first-person perspectives. I did this in my novel 100 Days and it just works for me. I love it. It's sort of how stories sometimes appear to me, how I sort of hear them in my head when I when I start working on them. So not only is it told in multiple first-person perspectives, it is told from the perspectives of four main characters, none of whom had my exact experiences. There's crossover with all of these characters. I think that's not uncommon for writers, period whatever you're writing, but especially fiction writers, and maybe especially YA fiction writers, there is, of course, some crossover from my own experience as an adolescent dealing with the typical things adolescents deal with. But if we look at these characters, one is African American, one is of Hispanic descent, one is male, and on the autistic spectrum, one is half Caucasian, half Japanese. So racially speaking, and of course, age speaking, I mean, writing YA to begin with, I'm writing about someone who's not me because I'm no longer a teenager. Talking about genetic makeup, racial makeup, obviously, they're not me. Obviously, I don't know what it is to be a black teen female. Obviously, I don't know what it is to be an autistic male teenager. So literally none of these characters are created from my lived experience. I think that's a really interesting term, lived experience. I actually really kind of like that term. I like the sound of it. We can each think back on our lived experience and own that. We have a certain ownership. I was there. This is who I was at that time. This happened to me or I did this. Lived experience is an incredibly powerful thing. And I definitely write in a sense from my lived experience. But when it comes to actually fleshing out characters, and I say fleshing out rather than creating because the way my process tends to work or has tended to work up until this point, I can't speak for how it'll be in the future. Characters for me tend to just show up. And often this is the case when I'm working on a completely different project, whether it's YA or not, characters will tend to show up. It's an eerie experience. And I've heard other writers talk about this in a similar way. It's almost like they will just appear one day and sort of tap you on the shoulder. Sometimes you'll hear a line of dialogue or I'll have a thought and I would suddenly sort of have this sense that this character who I haven't really met yet is having this thought. And before I know it, I'm hearing from that character more and more. And then maybe a day or two later, another character starts chiming in. Articulating it like this, it sounds a little out there. It's a hard thing to describe, but I think any writers listening, some of you may be nodding your head because it is hard to describe. I think it's what often makes someone a writer is we have these very rich imaginations. We have an ability, or maybe it's a willingness or a tendency, I'm really not sure which, to welcome fictional characters into our heads. When I get those first inklings of a character showing up, as I call it, I tune in and I have learned to 
remain in sort of a very receptive mode, almost like a listening mode. Like when you're having a conversation and you find yourself really just absorbing what the other person is saying rather than speaking your own mind. There's sort of this way of just being receptive, being quiet, and listening. And then another thing I will often do really throughout the novel writing process, but really at the beginning is find a way to take notes and get those first inklings down because they're delicate and they're flighty. And before you know it, they'll be gone. Anyway, I don't want to turn this into a process talk. I really want to try to stay on topic here. As I said, it's unscripted. So if I wander a bit, please forgive me. My point in talking about my process here, especially at the beginning of a project, is that I am often somewhat astounded by who shows up. It sort of reinforces that whole tendency to listen as much as possible to what they have to say. And then when it's time, when the character finally says, okay, now it's your turn, you know, you, you get to flesh me out then my work really kicks in as the writer. And here again, I of course cannot speak to other writers' processes. I imagine there are many writers out there who set out to write a certain type of book with certain types of characters, and they from day one create those characters very intentionally, very methodically. And I sometimes wish I could be more like that because I think there's a, a certain definition to that sort of process that I really envy. Mine really does tend to be much more intuitive, much more fluid, much more listening. And then if I ever do end up going too far in the other direction where I start to get ham-fisted or my voice as the author is too heavy, too apparent, I trust my readers to let me know that and hopefully well before a project goes out on submission, well before it gets published, of course. So I struggle with this idea of writing characters who are not like me. I don't struggle with it because it's hard. I think writing characters who are not like us is frankly the job of most, if not every writer of fiction. If you're writing characters who are exactly like you or who are you, frankly, you're writing autobiography or memoir or perhaps creative nonfiction. Fiction writers, our job is to either create the characters from scratch or to allow characters to appear and take it from there. And I'm sure there are other ways to create characters too, but those are sort of the main two that I think are probably the most typical. This issue that I'm seeing, um, not so much with myself, because again, I, honestly, someone can try to cancel me. Someone can come after me online and say terrible things. I wouldn't say I don't care. I care deeply, but who I care about are the readers I'm trying to reach. So if the readers I'm trying to reach, which in the case of YA are teen readers, and adult readers are fine too, but when I'm primarily writing for teen readers when I'm working on a young adult novel, I care about how teen readers authentically respond to a book. So if an adult reader of YA were to come at me just in sense that I would dare to write a character who is not myself or just like me, if an adult were to come at me and try to cancel me, I guess that's their right. It's not up to me at that point. As authors, we need to realize that once our work is out there in the world, it's in a sense not ours anymore. Readers get to respond however they're going to respond. But what's happening in the literary world, and I think it's heavily, heavily happening in YA, and has been, this is not brand new, it's been happening steadily for several years, really, I think, coming to a head now is writers, especially newer writers, but I think also established authors are so terrified of being called the names, racist being the biggie, because of course, no one wants to be called that. No one wants to be that. Well, I guess maybe some people do, but I'm not concerned about those people. 
here, let me just say, writers by and large, many of us tend to be sort of sensitive souls, intuitive souls. We're not writers because we're hard-hearted and unintelligent and insensitive. Most of us, I would venture to say, tend to fall on the more sensitive, aware part of the spectrum. Of course, I'm not going to overgeneralize, but that is my experience. We're not going out of our way to offend anyone. And, and I think especially that's true for writers of YA. Many of us who are drawn to writing YA are trying to provide some solace and provide some, I don't want to say guidance because that can sound preachy and that's sort of a cardinal sin in writing YA and for good reason, by the way, but trying to provide these sort of touchstones for adolescent readers to let them know, hey, it gets better. You are seen, you are heard. You need to learn to see and hear yourself. So I think it's very natural to shy away from wanting to be called a racist or insensitive or exploitative. These are serious accusations. And I imagine in some instances, they may be warranted. But what I'm seeing that's really bothering me is especially beginning writers of young adult fiction, those just starting out, and frankly, many of whom have some serious talent. I read their work and I think, wow, this is really good. But what I hear from them often is essentially, I'm worried that I'm not the right color to write these characters. This doesn't just come from white authors, by the way. This issue, it's sort of become a free-for-all as far as I can tell, that if you're not writing the correct characters that match your lived experience or, or in some way reflect your lived experience, this is problematic. This makes you cancelable. This potentially makes you racist. This potentially makes you exploitative. This potentially makes you venturing into territory where you have no right to venture because this is not your heritage. Um, I'm deeply, deeply disturbed by that. And at the same time, I sympathize with any reader who reads a book and feels misunderstood who does not feel seen. I have had that experience where I've read about, let's say a character who's a mother and a daughter and a sister at different times in my life and thought, boy, that doesn't ring true to me. That rings a little hollow or that rings a little false. So that's, that's not my experience. And then I generally remember, well, okay, it's a fictional character. So it's not my experience and it's not supposed to be. But the issue for me has typically come down to not so much this character isn't enough like me, more it comes down to this is not credible. This rings false. This doesn't seem genuine to me. I'm being pulled out of the story. I'm not invested here. Wading into these waters of representation is, I think for many people, very dicey. You don't want to go there. But the thing is, when we don't go there, or when we go there and we think, this is how this character is really coming to me very strongly. This is what I'm envisioning for this character. Or this is how I'm sensing this character. But no, let me change some details because I'm going to get attacked online. It's going to ruin my career. I'm going to get my publishing contract canceled or retracted, or I'm going to retract it. That's the one that I find the most disturbing and really tragic. These stories of authors who have written manuscripts that were going on their way to becoming actual published books, but when advanced copies were read, big hubbub was caused because, oh, this writer does not have the right to write this 
story about these characters because of heritage issues, because of racial issues. And these stories where the authors themselves are pulling the books from publication post-contracts. I mean, once they have publishing contracts, they're pulling these books and thus depriving readers of the chance to judge the work on its merits due to a handful of self-crowned arbiters of what should and shouldn't be read. So obviously, we all know that external censorship, censorship that comes from outside of a writer is one thing. But this issue of self-censorship on the part of writers is a really, really convenient for anyone who is a big fan of censorship, because they don't have to do any work at all. The writer is censoring themselves at that point. I know it's almost dinner time, but not quite. Agnes the Cattle Dog is frantic. When I hear that, especially from new, upcoming, very talented writers, very passionate, talented writers who know what they want to write and they have the voice and they have the skills, and then I hear them pull back at these very early stages, which much like the stage of characters when they first appear, these very early stages of becoming a writer and really beginning to believe in oneself, it's a very delicate time. And when I see these writers sort of self-squashing at this point, self-censoring or considering self-censoring, I have a really hard time with it. I have a hard time with it as a teacher. I have a hard time with it as a fellow writer. I have a hard time with it as a reader because it makes me wonder how many stories are not being told right now out of fear. And so I guess at the end of it, this whole thing brings me to this. And it's twofold. First of all, There's an upside, and the upside I'm seeing is while many of these writers who tell me point blank, I'm worried about how this would be received. I love this idea. I love these characters. I love this story, but I'm worried about what might happen if I try to put it out there. What am I going to be accused of? While that's happening, what I also see happening more and more, and it's not as strong as the fear yet, but I see more and more writers saying, I believe in this story. What will be will be. I'm going to pursue it. I'm going to basically, and this again, my words, do my job and write the story that's in me, write the story I'm passionate about, write the story that I care about, write the characters I care about. So there's that. And two, where the whole thing brings me is to this. I think more than ever, especially young writers, new writers, those just starting out, but also writers who have been there, done that. Writers who have been in the trenches, some of us for decades, to remember is the importance of courage, the importance of confidence in our work, belief in our work, and trust in our own hearts, our own intentions, our own desire to connect with readers in a genuine way often in a helpful way. And here's where I have some bias in writing books for teen readers, especially, is this tendency to want to provide solace, to want to provide some comfort and some sense that you've got this, things are going to be okay, to want to provide some encouragement. But let's face it, some writers are writing horror and dark sci-fi. So I don't want to assume that all stories need to be uplifting and rosy. But regardless of what you're writing, even if you're writing dark horror, you are not immune necessarily from worrying about this issue of I'm going to offend somebody. I'm going to potentially write this type of character wrong and I will have no defense when someone comes at me online or maybe in person, hopefully not in person, but online and says, you have no right to write this book. And maybe that's true. Maybe we have no defense. And by we, I mean 
writers of all background, of all ethnicities, of all ages. Maybe we have no defense when someone says, this does not come from your lived experience, clearly, or who are you to write this book? More and more, my answer becomes, I am a writer of fiction. My characters show up for me the way they show up. I am honored when they show up. And I am willing to have courage and to believe in those characters and to believe in myself as a writer and also to believe in the reader's ability to read the story as he or she will read the story. I believe in the reader's right to have whatever reaction and response that reader is going to have, whether it's positive, which of course is what we want as writers. Of course, we want readers to respond in a positive way and to love our work. I think that's very natural and very human. But if they don't, that's okay too, because frankly, any honest, genuine response, maybe our work makes a reader mad for some reason that really has nothing to do with cancel culture. That can be incredibly invigorating in a way, because what it's telling us is, wow, this really touched a nerve for this reader. And while that was probably not intentional, or maybe it was for some writers, but I know in my case, that hasn't happened too often. But the times it has, it has not been intentional, but it's been incredibly interesting and helpful in expanding my mind and my approach with future projects. And it's not because it's out of fear. It's not because I think this reader's coming after me. It's because this reader has given me something to think about that I hadn't really considered before. And as a writer, what could be more golden? I'm going to wrap this up here because again, this is a pretty unscripted, completely unscripted episode. And there's obviously a lot to say, but I just wanted to talk about this. Let me know what you think in the comments. If someone's deeply offended by what I've said, I'd like to hear it because it's all illuminating. It's all enlightening, especially if it comes from a place of, I disagree with you and here's why. Conversation is good. Debate is good. So writers have courage. Know that, yeah, you might get attacked, but allow that to help you dig deeper when it comes to your love of the written word, your love for your characters, your love for your story. Thanks for listening to the Groovy Writer Podcast. You can find the podcast on most major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and others. You can also listen in on YouTube and on my website at NicoleMcInnes.com. Until next time, ride on, Groovy Writers. Ride on.